When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to After the Jag Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the Jag Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Danny Murphy. Danny uh, spent 20 years, just over 20 years in the Army, before leaving to become an assistant U.S. attorney. And since November of 2022, he has been of counsel with Penn Stewart, a private law firm in Southwest Virginia. So, Danny, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for your time. Tom, good morning. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. Thanks. Thanks. So, Danny, uh, we came together because you posted on LinkedIn about a, a call to service, and we'll get into that. And since you're saying we need to help each other out as we're transitioning into the civilian world from the JAG Corps, and a common acquaintance saw that and tagged me in it, and here we are. But tell us about your journey. Tell us a little bit about what you did in the Army, but we're more focused on your decision to get out and how you approach that and what worked for you in your transition. Tom, let me begin by saying a little bit about myself. I'm a um, an ROTC guy, originally was a Signal Corps officer, joined the JAG Corps through the Army's funded legal education program, and had a fantastically exciting and fun Army JAG career. Spent some time initially as a brigade judge advocate and trial counsel out at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Was in Germany, in Heidelberg, Germany, as a chief of justice. Spent some time as a special victim prosecutor at Fort Campbell. And then again, as a brigade judge advocate down at Fort Benning before I uh, went over to Germany again to serve with U.S. Africa Command and then rounded out my career out of OTJAG in the Pentagon. And so I would say my career was primarily focused on litigation. I would say I, I focused on criminal prosecution. Spent some time during my time with AFRICOM doing some investigation work as well. I had some unique opportunities to work on the continent of Africa. And then ultimately came back and got some much-needed Pentagon time as well. But it was towards the end of that time in the, in the Pentagon that I ultimately concluded that for me, where I was, I wanted to explore opportunities outside of the Army. I wanted to consider at that time retiring from the JAG Corps. And that's when my decision really kind of boiled down through a lot of discussions with my wife and identifying what it was that we wanted to do next, ultimately concluded that we wanted to retire at the 20-year mark. And so that's what we did. And so, you know, you ask about what leads one to that decision. That's a very personal decision for everybody, obviously. And so for me, it was a matter of, I think, a combination of just some personal family priorities, a shift in priorities for me. I had, uh, at the time, two young boys. Working at the Pentagon, I found myself not seeing my boys as much as I had hoped. They were 
in bed when I was leaving to get to the Pentagon, usually in bed by the time I got home. And I found myself on more than one occasion wondering if that's kind of what I wanted to be doing in terms of raising my boys. Separately, I also knew that I had general professional aspirations that I knew I wanted to explore. And upon reflection, I concluded that at the 20-year mark for me, put me at the place in my life where I could pursue a second career with enough time to be able to develop some expertise and have a successful second career. And I thought if I chose to stay on in the Army at that time, I would be making not just a two-year commitment, but probably a a six- to ten-year commitment to stay in the Army. And ultimately, we decided that we wanted to retire and explore other opportunities. On that note, your last job, and anybody that looks at your LinkedIn profile will see that you were in the front office supporting the Judge Advocate General and the Deputy Judge Advocate General of the Army. That is a very busy position, as you already indicated. You were up at dawn and out the door and then home late at night. And that's that's an all-encompassing, all-consuming job. How did you find the time to do all those things inherent in a transition? And we're talking about the mandatory TAP class. We're talking about networking. We're talking about identifying and applying for jobs. How did you fit all that in with a demanding schedule like that? Yeah, so that's right, Tom. And it it was an awesome job. And I loved it. And I had the benefit of working directly for several of the absolute best leaders that I've ever had the opportunity to work for in my career. And so once those requirements started to heat up, I will tell you that my bosses were supportive of me and gave me the opportunity that I needed to go and and pursue either be it interviews, be it medical appointments, whatever the case may be, whatever I had to do, my bosses enabled me. They gave me the time that I needed to do that. Now, it was busy and time management was critical and using my weekends to kind of plan out what are what are my hit points, what do I need to get done, scheduling those the, those appointments, the the classes that you have to take. I put them on the calendar. I scheduled it far in advance. I protected that space. I made sure that I was getting to those appointments, made sure that my bosses knew that I needed to be attending those and just remained diligent with it, frankly. And it came together. There were times that I wish I had a little bit more time to be able to go out and network and do this and that. And at that moment, that position did not really lend itself to me being able to take a lot of time off from work to do that. But I I definitely felt like I had the time that I needed to get the requirements completed. Take us through the job that you ultimately got is with the Assistant United States Attorney for the Western District of Virginia. Take us through that time hack of you applied on this date and the lead time to getting that job. How long did it take you? How quickly were you able to get out of the Army? These are the things that people in my shoes are thinking about is that perfect job came along. How quickly can I pull that ejection handle and how quickly will the seat get me out of the uh, plane? I never imagined how quickly it would actually happen once the process was underway. Okay. And so for a a while, you know, once I made the decision and put my paperwork in that I was choosing to retire, and I forget candidly the timeline of that, but it was whatever it is, a a year out or 11 months out, whatever the case may be, I'd submitted my paperwork and I was exploring a number of different options or a number of different goals. You know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to go into private practice. I didn't know if I wanted to do to continue to work for the government in one capacity or another. 
I didn't know if I wanted to work for myself, which was something that I considered strongly. What I did through all of this was continue to network relentlessly. And I say that to mean I engaged in what I like to think of as meaningful conversations. It's not just a numbers game. I didn't want to just have, uh, you know, a, a certain number of connections on LinkedIn. I, I didn't see that as necessarily fruitful. I wanted to engage in meaningful conversations with as many people that I could that would enlighten me and that would kind of guide me through the process. One of those people who I had stayed in touch with was a former judge advocate, supervisor, boss of mine, a fantastic leader in his own right. But he was also a career long mentor of mine. And I consider him a friend, very good friend. And early in the process, when I told him that I was retiring, he was a, he worked the U.S. attorney's office and he told me to, to stay in touch with him. And so I did that. And so through that process, he had given me a heads up that they were going to be advertising and opening up a position to hire a position in the U.S. attorney's office for the Western District of Virginia. And he recommended that I put my resume in for it. And so with that, I, I want to say that I didn't have much time to finalize my resume and to kind of craft it or, or tweak it for the U.S. Attorney's Office, probably about a week. But I did submit the, the, the resume and within a week was able to get a, an interview. Now, I recognize I've never asked this colleague what the back of the room discussions were. I have no idea, but I presume that he helped me in getting an interview. And so I got an interview and I'd say within two days after the interview, the U.S. attorney called me and extended a position to me. At that point, you know, when the office wanted to hire somebody, they had a vacancy to fill and they wanted to fill that vacancy. So I recall I interviewed with them in June of 20, uh, May or June of 2020. Actually, it would have been mid-June of 2020. And I asked for a couple of weeks. I said, listen, I've never been down to Abingdon, which is where they had offered the position for me to fill. I said, would you give me the courtesy of going down there, doing a little bit of due diligence and making sure that this is the right decision for my family? And so my wife and I did that. And we spent several days down here, concluded that it was a fantastic opportunity. And we let them know that we we're going to take the opportunity. And so from the heads up that, hey, there might be an opportunity to interview, offer acceptance, probably was a span of one month. Now, at that point, the good thing with the U.S. Attorney's Office is like many government agencies is they have to do your background check. They've got to do your, I had a security clearance at the time, but they had to review all of your, your background, of course. And that takes time. The process takes time. And so they had asked when I would be available. And I knew that I was retiring uh, in October and I said I'd be available one November. And so I ended up, I forget when my final out date was, but the summer of 2020. And I took a couple of months for me and my family but I was starting on November 1, 2020, and I had very little gap, fortunately, because of how quickly I was able to get into that position. You know, one of the things that I've been surprised at in these conversations is the, you can't begin early enough. And sort of the myth was, don't start applying for jobs until you're three or four months out. And I found that that's, like you said, if they have a vacancy, they want to fill it because they need somebody right away. But I've also heard that depending upon who you're applying with, what you want, or if they really want you, they are willing to, they may be willing to suck up that 
extra load with the vacancy, the gap. So, you know, it's always, it's always interesting. I imagine, you know, with U.S. Attorney's Office, they, I'm sure they always have a number of cases that <laughs> you got to get into court. It's not like you can push them off. Yeah. And I think I had a, I had varying experiences with different opportunities that I was pursuing. And so with the U.S. Attorney's Office, they obviously wanted to fill a position. They wanted to fill it as quickly as possible, but there is always necessarily an administrative processing time that's built in. And so, so, so you can't get somebody in the seat immediately. And, and I'd say that's probably true of most government positions across the board. Now, conversely, I, I had gone through a couple of rounds of interviews with law firms and some on the corporate side. And there was a particular company that I, I was a couple of rounds of interviews in with. And, and I was asked that specific question, hey, how, how quickly can you start if we were to offer you a position? And I was in the position of having to say, well, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to start until for another four months, four or five months. And although they didn't say it outright, I could sense almost a, huh, okay. And it, it, and my sense was that that they were not receptive to waiting for four or five months. And so I, I did not get that offer for whatever reason, but that was, I presume, a, a consideration. So that's a tough spot to be in. You know, I think it depends on what you're interested in doing. And if you want to work for the government, you probably, you probably can apply for jobs a little bit early on. Now, somebody else in a, in a prior podcast had said this, and I remember when I was listening to it, nodding in agreement that just because the the first opportunity that you apply for doesn't work out, I don't think it's a bad thing to have gone through the process, to have understood their interview process, their application process, to have spoken with people within their their hiring chain of command and and get a sense so that the next time an opportunity comes around, you're a known quantity, so to speak. And um, so I, I don't know that I subscribe to the to the thought that you have to somehow time your application. Now, look, I wouldn't start at applying for for positions eighteen months out. Sure, I mean, I, I don't, sure, I don't that's that. just that's unreasonable. Just, that's unreasonable, right? And so, so yeah, finding the sweet spot is is tough, but but I would just encourage people to to be tenacious and and just to keep getting after it. You know, to your point, I, I shared with you that I applied with one company in particular a few times and didn't get it, but I did not see any of those. I did not see any of those applications as wasted. I, you know, I learned to target a resume. I learned how to take a position to, you know, description. I learned how to use skillsinker.com to try to match that up. I've learned about, you know, the networking and I did, you know, this company, I went through their portal the first time, never heard anything. I right. knew the job had been filled. And months later, I got an email saying, oh, thank you for your application, but we right. filled this position. I've gone through the, that just because you submit it and you think you're well qualified for that, to get ready for uncertainty that you may never, ever get a response on your job application. And therefore that you can't, hitch your course to that one application and hope that it lands. Yeah, Tom. So interesting you say that. I've had the same experience. Before this podcast, I was sharing with you that my concern would be that I don't know that I would offer a, a whole lot of substantive help to your listeners only because my experience was, I thought, very almost personal, almost unique to me. But perhaps what I could share that's not unique to me was the underlying theme that I was able to to land what was a, a fantastic job 
for me, I mean, for, in terms of what I wanted to do through personal connections. And so I have done exactly what you were saying. I've done the portal. I've dropped resumes and cover letters. I've cold called. I've emailed people out of, out of the blue with resumes. I've done everything. I mean, I really did. But ultimately what worked for me was the personal connection that I had with a former colleague, a former boss who identified an opportunity and aligned me with that opportunity so that I was able to pursue it successfully. And so that's what I think it comes down to. I shared with you that that I've done what others, I recall uh, listening to um, uh, to Kelly Hook's podcast with you, and she's a, a, a friend and former basic course classmate of mine. Yeah, I think it was she who said that she had used a service to help her with her resume. I did the same thing and I paid some money and I had somebody review my my resume. And candidly, they came back and she provided me with a resume that was in this really unique, creative format, colors and blowouts and boxes and this and that. And I remember looking at it and I was like, God, this just, this seems a little different than what I'm accustomed to. And I actually, I actually provided that to a corporate counsel that agreed to meet with me at one point, and I was speaking with him. And, and he posed to me, he said, man, Danny, I'm looking at your resume here, and I don't even see like where your school, your education history is on this resume. It doesn't, bounce, it doesn't jump out to me. What I took from that was that, you know, I paid money to go along with this sort of creative resume design. And the reality is that people in our profession, attorneys who are looking to, to hire attorneys, they just want the black and white. Give me the substance of your resume, the important details up front so I know what I'm dealing with. So as you mentioned previously, I think off air, just, you know, in your eight second clip, what sticks with that person? And so that was a huge sticking point for me that I needed to kind of pivot back from the creative approach towards my future endeavors and instead just get back to brass tacks and boil it down to, hey, how do I impress upon people what I think I can do for them, how I can offer value to them? Now, what I ultimately concluded was for me, the best way to do that was personal connections and personal networking. So rather than dropping resumes or cover letters into portals or into the ether, I wanted to connect with people because I thought that if I could sit down with somebody for 10 or 15 minutes and engage with them and find common ground and talk about how I could add value to their organization, I thought I had a better chance at that. And so ultimately, I think I think that was successful for me because I was able to land with the U.S. Attorney's Office after the interview. But what I'll tell you is opportunities beget opportunities. And it was through working in the U.S. Attorney's Office. I'm down. I was down in the Western District of Virginia in rural Southwest Virginia, but I was in federal court and I was trying cases and I was engaging with other attorneys who were practicing in federal court. And I ended up engaging with several attorneys with a local law firm who approached me about an opportunity to join the law firm and to de develop a practice area for the law firm. And so it's unique how, how one opportunity kind of lends itself to another. And that's how I find myself where I am today. But it was not through dropping applications. It was not through portals. Thanks for uh, for jumping those. Those were my segues. I wanted to get to the fact that you only did two years, two months at the U.S. Attorney's Office before you moved on to Penn Stewart, where you've been for about three months. 
So that adage that your first job is not necessarily going to be the last job, which is a cultural change. But I want to pivot to the post that brought us together, and that was the call to service for former and retired judge advocates. And if you could just kind of share what your message was in that post on LinkedIn. Yep. So Tom, within the last several months, I have enjoyed speaking with probably a handful of judge advocate colleagues, friends, several, some whom I, I did not know prior to our conversations, and they had reached out to me in an effort to, to network. And what I was struck by was it was about three years ago, right now, where I was doing exactly what they were doing. So these individuals reaching out to me or my conversations with them had me just reflecting on what it took for me to land a job and exactly where I was in the thought process around this time then. And I recall the people that were so helpful and so willing to speak with me. And there are many. There are any number of people who are willing to share their time and speak with me. And I find, found it so refreshing and so helpful that I thought, hey, you know what? One, I want to do that for people. And so I say this now, if there are listeners that want to reach out, I will speak with, I'm happy to speak with anybody, exchange thoughts, take a look at resumes if they want me to, or just kind of share my thoughts on what, what it is that they're trying to do. But I also really thought that we as judge advocates are in such a, a family of professionals that I think we owe it to one another to look out for one another. Because our military careers all come to an end. They all come to an end. And in some way or fashion, we're all going to be in a similar position at some point where we're having to evaluate life after the military. Yeah. And so because I was the beneficiary of somebody who was willing to look out for me, I just wanted to express that to my network of friends and colleagues. Hey, look out for your brothers and sisters. See if you can't help them either by way of offering some advice or networking or helping to guide them to a possible opportunity of which they are aware, bringing that opportunity to the individual and seeing that if we can't link the two up. That's what drove my post. I think it was well-received. There were a fair number of comments and support. And what I would encourage those people who, who might be listening to share that message in their own networks, because yeah. I think that's what we need to do as, uh, as judge advocates. You know, you think about your time in the Army, you think about your time in the Navy, that you know, you join a tribe, you're a member of that tribe, and throughout your career, you have those mentors or, you know, you have the opportunity to hear some, take somebody come and get you all excited about, I don't know, uh, operational law or contracts or something. You're like, yeah, I want to I do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And throughout your career, you have people you can reach out to and say, hey, what do you think about this? But retirement, it is, has been an individual journey. We all must go through that and yet there is no forum, for example, where they could bring in retired JAGs other than like the Judge Advocates Association jobs for JAGs. But there's nothing like a forum for JAGs getting out right? to have people come in front of them and say, hey, listen, this is what worked for me. And because we've been involved in two wars and we have interfaced more, at the more senior you get and because of things on the ground with Army, with Air Force, with Coast Guard. I haven't dealt with the Space Force yet, but I'm just too old and they're too small and too young. 
But we really have a big tribe. And when you think about that, they say only 1% of the American population serves in the military. Well, take that 1% of the lawyers that are out there that have gone on. And that is a huge network. You're right. And how do we tap into that? And we're fortunate we have LinkedIn. You know, you want to get to the point that when lawyers, wherever they are, have an opening, that they can think of two or three JAGs that might be perfect for that job, like your friend thought you might be a good contender for the position. So that's exactly right, Tom. So that example, though, has played out even since then. And I've had opportunities. You know, my office has posted vacancies again on several occasions since I joined, I should say, since I joined the U.S. Attorney's Office, of course, have since departed the U.S. Attorney's Office, but that the office has posted vacancies. And the office is always, you know, the, the leadership within the office is always reaching out to you know, attorneys in the office to say, hey, look, do you, do you know anybody good? Can you recommend anybody for the position? And I have tipped off the vacancy to a number of friends and colleagues. I've forwarded resumes to the hiring partners or to the hiring committee, I should say, on certain individuals as well. I've reached out to other U.S. attorneys offices and given a vote of support for other Army colleagues who were pursuing vacancies in other U.S. attorneys offices in different districts. And so there are opportunities, like I said, to help bring a vacancy, bring a professional opportunity to a qualified candidate, to a judge advocate, just to really link them up a little bit. And I think the more we can do that to look out for one another, the more we help our community. Well, to that point, I know a Navy 06 who's retiring later this summer. If you know of anybody in the D.C. area that would need somebody to... uh I don't know, to interface with folks or do investigation. I probably, I have a guy. Danny, back to getting a hold of you. I will be sure to link your profile in the uh, blog that I put accompanying this podcast, as well as, you know, people can always reach out to me at after the JAG core. That's after T-H-E-J-A-G-C at gmail.com. And we can connect people if they, you know, really want to get to you with your email address. We're at 29 minutes and editing will take it down a little bit, but I'm going to give you a chance to put out any other guidance you think might be added, or you can tell me that you got to, you got to get back to business, whatever you yeah. want to do. Tom, I'll share, I'll share a parting thought on this. I think this goes along with the, the underlying theme of, of my time with you, which is just those personal connections matter, right? They do. And there, there are so many people, friends, family members, so many people who care about service members and wanting to contribute and serve service members in some way, shape, or form. I would highlight, you know, what you and I previously spoke about is even on my LinkedIn post, I had a, a, a former law school classmate and a buddy of mine who reached out to me and he said, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not a service member, but I'd love to talk to anybody. I'm happy to, to speak with somebody. And you and I have spoken about that. And I understand you've had an opportunity to speak with that guy. All that is to say is, the, the broader we build this network, and if somebody says, hey, I, I may have an opportunity, would be would, would love to speak with somebody, or I'm happy to speak and share some thoughts with somebody, it builds a network of connectivity amongst us. And when an opportunity arises, it feeds the right time, right opportunity mentality, but you've got to have your name in circulation within the networks of people, and you've got to have your feelers out there. And so I would encourage people to develop their networks 
and to ask their friends and their families to stay in touch with them and to reach out with to uh, to other service members who are who are looking for opportunities because that is how people, in my estimation, are going to arrive at meaningful, successful careers post military service. And Tom, I'm I'm grateful for your time this morning. I appreciate uh, the time you spent talking with me. Well, thank you, Danny. And folks, again, this is Danny Murphy of Council at Penn Stewart. If you're looking on LinkedIn, that's who are you going to find him. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.